0: Good morning. Good to see y'all, Gospel Life Church, and thank you those who are logging in online uh, to join us to hear God's Word preached. Uh, today's sermon text is the last verse in the book of Colossians, so we're wrapping it up. So uh, chapter 4, verse 18. As Paul signs off here, I'll read this. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we turn to you and hear your glorious word, we thank you for the gift that it is to us. You've uh, given us treasure to communicate your love, your compassion, your judgment, your righteousness, the condition of humanity and the earth that you made. Lord, as we Here, Pastor Brian, today, may our hearts be stirred uh, to change and to action. Father, we thank you for giving us Pastor Brian as his gift. We thank you for sustaining him even during these difficult uh, days. Father, I pray you'd bless him with wisdom as he continues to guide and shepherd this church that you appointed him over. Father, we thank you for your word, and we look forward to hearing from you today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
1: All right, thank you, Brady, for reading our text for Scripture this morning. We're so glad that we're able to finish off um, our series here in Colossians today as we finish off with verse 18 here in chapter 4. So we're thankful for all of those who are joining us online. So glad that you're able to participate with us uh, this morning. If you're a member of our church, we're, we just want, I just want to express we're so thankful for you. We continue to pray for you. And I appreciate your continuing to stay connected to us even during this time. And so we continue to pray for your safety health-wise, but then also uh, for the safety of your soul as you continue to, to uh, take up God's Word and seek to read it and apply it to your life and to join us as we seek to open God's Word today as a church. But we do miss you. And uh, we hope that soon we'll be able to all be together again. So today, uh, we're going to continue on here in Colossians 4 with the last verse. And uh, someone asked me, Is, are we just going to preach one verse? And he, he described it as a, a, a teaspoonful, just a spoonful. Uh, but it, there's much here to be said. And uh, not only that, we're going to take up what uh, Paul commands the church at Colossae to do, and the church at Laodicea to do as well. And uh, towards the end of our sermon, we're actually going to read the entire uh, letter of Colossi, uh, the Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. So uh, I'm excited about that, so I'll just give you that heads up that we're going to get there and uh, just respond thankful for God's Word that He's given to us. Today, the sermon title is Thankful for God's Grace, and it is our final sermon in this series that's a call to live all of life in thankfulness to God. And as we've come to Paul's letter here to Colossae, to a church he had not visited, and yet seeks to encourage, as he has heard about them from Epaphras, and his desire is to remind them of grace that has occurred in their life through the work of Jesus Christ, and then their response of uh, gratitude, a grateful heart, a thankfulness, that, that kind of pours out, it, it comes out, it overflows out in thankfulness in their lives. Uh, I didn't find this quote until actually this week, but I was like, man, this has been a great quote for the whole series to be quoting, but God and His sovereignty didn't want that. He wanted me to just say it today. And so it was on Ligonier's website, and uh, they wrote, The essence of theology is grace. The essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. So the reason, the reason why we are saved and the, the foundation of everything, of us being able to know God and enjoy God and glorify God, uh, to know Christ and find Him as our hope and our treasure, is all essentially grace to us. Unmerited, undeserved favor from God giving of Himself to us. The essence of theology is grace. But then in turn, the essence of Christian ethics, us living our lives and living this grace out, is gratitude. It's this overwhelming satisfaction and thankfulness for what God has done for us on our behalf. And that's what Paul's done throughout this whole letter. He's reminded the church at Colossae of what God has done, and in reminding them of what God has done, the the automatic kind of reaction to that is then, and so we live like this for Him. So we live for His glory. So we live for our enjoyment in Him. So Christ is all that matters to the Christian. So He is the fullness of all we pursue and all we live for. And hopefully as we read through the letter again here today, you'll be reminded Of many of those things that we have seen. As we come to this last verse in the close of the book of, or this letter to the Colossians, Paul reminds the Colossian believers again of the grace of God that comes to them through God's revealed word. And and that's really our main point that you are to live in thankfulness to God for the grace he gives through his word. We are to live in thankfulness to God for grace He gives through His Word. And like I just said, grace is this unmerited favor from God towards us. And that, that is a wonderful definition that we would understand that it's, it's God demonstrating and giving of Himself to us in a way that we do not deserve, in a way that we cannot earn. And at, at the core of grace, is this, this giving of God to us by God. In essence, another way you could define grace is that grace is Jesus Christ given to us. The ability for a sinful human being to know Jesus Christ, to love Jesus Christ, to trust Jesus Christ, and in Jesus Christ find their salvation from t- sin and their eternal life granted to them. This is is grace to us, to to be able to pick up God's Word and to be able to see the face of God in it, the character of God in it, the the wants and desires and wills of God, the, 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 the ability to know God enough to fear Him, which is the beginning of wisdom. It's this opening of our eyes to see something that we have no right to see unmerited, undeserved. We have no right, and yet God grants this to His people. And that granting of this, that sharing of Himself, is what we understand as grace. And the primary and indispensable means of grace, both for salvation and for the Christian life, is the Scriptures is God's holy word. And we read about how the scriptures came to us, came to us. And we're going to look at how they came to us, but ultimately as we go to a passage like 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, we're reminded of the purpose of scripture. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us to His own glory and excellence through knowing Christ. And we know Him through the Scriptures. He goes on to say that everything by which He has granted us what? His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. It is in God's Word that we find this grace that we so desperately need being poured out to us in a way that we can know Christ salvifically and transformatively uh, converting us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the Son. And there is no knowledge absolutely needful to man's salvation except a knowledge of the things which are to be found in the Bible. And the Bible is the only standard by which all questions of doctrine or of duty can be tested. It is Scripture that we stand on. It is Scripture as this primary and indispensable means of grace for our salvation and for our Christian life. God has granted these to us. And as we come to this concluding verse, we're meant to be reminded of this again. We're meant to be reminded that this letter written by Paul to the church at Colossae is grace. To us, as he begins the letter, and now grace meant to be with us as we end this letter. Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask now that You would open our eyes to see the grace that is given to us. That you grant to us, not by our own right, not by our own goodness, not by our own merits, for if that were the case, we would fall so desperately short, so undeserving of any any favor that you would grant us let alone your your very words and yet in your goodness in your kindness according to your worth your glory you pour out you lavish us with your grace And today I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the grace that you grant to us this morning, that we would not take for granted one little bit that is found here. And even if all we had was the letter to the Colossians, we we would have grace upon grace and yet, You have not just granted us that, You have granted us the entirety of Your Word so that we might know You. and In knowing You, we might glorify You and enjoy You. We might love You. We might treasure You. So Lord, today, may, may we see You in such light and may we continue to as we take up our Bibles in private. or may we just overflow with gratitude in our ability to hear from You, to know You, to see You in Your Word. Lord, may we overflow with gratitude as we open it in our families, in our homes. May we overflow with gratitude as we open it together as Your church. What great privilege, what great honor. All undeserved. And yet, because You are good, And you do good. You have so blessed us. Lord, I pray not just for us, but for each church that is faithful to meet today and faithful to open up your word and faithfully seeking to expound your word. Lord, may may they benefit from the grace that you are pouring out to them. Lord, uh, I ask for churches in our city here Lord, I ask for uh, Pastor Errol at Mission Church. Lord, I pray for Pastor Vaughn at First Baptist in Brook. Lord, I thank you for these men and for their churches and for the desire to present faithfully your word. And I pray that as they present them, that the people would see the grace being offered and that they would embrace it. Just as, Lord, my desire is that today, as I seek to be clear and seek to be faithful, that grace would be offered and that we would embrace it and experience your grace. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two questions I'm going to be asking this morning. First of all, what is the grace that is to be with the church? And Maybe I've kind of tipped my hand a little bit. That's okay. All right. What is the grace that is to be with the church? And we want to go to the text and look at that. And then secondly, and then maybe just describe a little more detail what that grace is. And then secondly, how does God reveal his word through his servants? So as we're going to see that grace has come through the hand of Paul. So how does God do this? There's actually two ways that we can see how God works through His servant in this verse. And then lastly, we want to connect to everyday life. So let's dig into this first question. What is the grace that is to be with the church? Well, The answer to this grace is God Himself as revealed to the church in the Scripture given through His servant. This grace is God Himself as revealed to the church in the Scripture given through his servant. Now, the Scripture is a form of grace. We're going to describe it as is a means of grace. And I had already said even that it was the, the primary and indispensable means of grace by which we are saved and understand the Christian life. But notice that that, that as Scripture serves as the means of grace, it is pointing us to, it is directing us to, Grace itself and grace itself is God Himself giving of Himself, revealing Himself to us. It's done through the scriptures, given through His servants. Now, why would I argue this from this text? As Paul seeks to sign off here, saying, Grace be with you, you know, why not just see that as just kind of just a little like goodbye? Hey, Hope all's well with you. Hope all goes well. Well, the reason why I don't think we should see it as merely that, although I think that there's an aspect in which it is serving in that way, but but Paul is not just throwing out a somewhat shallow form of terminology to end his letter here, but rather, I believe Paul is reminding them of the very thing that is happening as they conclude the reading of his letter. And in that sense, I believe that Paul understands the significance and importance of the letter that he's written. That, that there is something unique about this letter. It is God's grace being given to them. And we can, start, we can see that by starting in chapter 1 and verse 2. As Paul writes to them here, we read verse 1 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Here is his introduction, his greeting, in a sense, and yet. As we preached back when we started this letter, there's more to this than just a formulaic, shallow greeting. Paul's desire is that they would experience God's grace. Not just like, you know, um, kind of just mystically, Like somehow grace is hovering around and Paul's like, you know, I hope that grace kind of hovers over you and lands on you sometime, point in time. No, no, no. He has a specific reason for saying grace to you. And the reason why he says grace to you is because he is going to present to them the grace of God. It is this very letter. The grace to you and the peace that comes from God is this letter coming to them. And what is he going to do throughout the entirety of the letter? He's going to remind them of what God has done for them. How God has poured out His grace upon them. How they now have peace with God through the work of God that He has given to them. And so his intention at the very beginning of this letter was to say, here is God's grace to you. And now as we get to the end, it is, it is no coincidence that Paul ends it with, grace be with you. Now that you have read this Word from God, take this Word with you. Hide it in your heart. Know it. Why? Because this is is God's revelation of Himself to you. It's grace to you, and now it can be grace with you. And as we consider what Scripture is, we were have to consider that God gave Scripture then through His servants. And so again, we can go to 2 Peter. I've already read one text from there talking about The Word of God being given in such a way. So you could turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we looked at verses 3 and 4 here in 2 Peter just a minute ago as I began the sermon. How His divine power has granted us the knowledge of Him who's called us through the precious promises. I said, This He's talking about the Word of God being given to us here. And it's no coincidence then that as we go down through this text, we find that he continues, that Peter, as he's writing here, continues to talk about the Word of God. We get to verses 20 and 21, and what does he say here? He says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, no, no revelation of Scripture, Another way we could translate that, no revelation of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We see here, God here gave Scripture through His servant. And one of his servants is Paul, and Paul convinced that here here is God working in such a way, in this way, that grace is being poured out to God's people through Paul's letter. This is grace to you, and now this will be grace with you if you will take it, if you will embrace it, if you will understand it. It is meant to be grace revealed to God's church. Here it is, the Holy Spirit working through this instrument, Paul, to produce God's Word, God's Scripture. Or as Paul writes in 2 Timothy, we know that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is therefore profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's breathed out by God. It comes from God. He is the very source of it. Now, it doesn't deny the fact, as we see in 2 Peter 1, it doesn't f- deny the fact that God uses men. God spoke through men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so there's definitely uniqueness to Paul's way of writing and to Paul's letters. And there's specificness, as we even looked at last week, of, of these greetings that he gave and, and, and he sends to, the, to specific churches of people that are, are no longer alive today. And so we understand there's an aspect in which they are they're very much part of the, the context of the Roman Empire of the day and written to a specific church in Colossae. And yet, at the same time, we have seen throughout our study that the, the truths that are laid out here in this letter weren't just meant for the church in Colossae. And it's not just because Paul says, hey, let the Laodicean church read it too. We could say, well, yeah, but they're in the same similar context. You know, they're still in the Roman Empire in this first century. And you no, know, as we've walked through this, what have we seen? We have seen that these truths are grace, not just to them, but to us. Why? Because it is God at work using the uniqueness of Paul in his own situation, writing to a specific church to actually speak broader than just them. To speak to the entirety of this church throughout all of the ages. This is where the small A author gives way to the big A author. That as Paul writes, he is writing as he is carried along by the Holy Spirit, so that in turn Paul can describes his writing as God's grace to his church, and if it and if it is truly God's grace to His church through this special revelation where we can claim that it is Scripture along with the rest of Scripture, then we have to understand it as different from some other types of graces. God pours out His grace through nature and through the sun and the rain falling on the just and the unjust. That's grace undeserved as well, but it's a different kind of grace. A common grace that is given to all mankind. It's not the grace by which we know our need of salvation and the information necessary for us to respond is granted to us, nor is it the means by which we know how to live out our Christian life. Rather, it displays what? The, the glory of our Creator the greatness of who He is, and that we all should, should humbly fall on our faces before someone so magnificent for who among us can speak anything into existence, let alone everything into existence. But when we come to Scripture, there's a difference in the grace that is given. There is an authority that comes with Scripture. Paul's expectation in his specific writings that we now have preserved for us by God's sovereignty in our Word. What does he expect? He expects the church to live in obedience to it. He expects the church to understand that to live in obedience to Scripture is to live in obedience to God. And to live in disobedience with Scripture is to live in disobedience with God. And what is this desire? Now that this grace has come to you, allow it to go with you. It's meant to affect your lives. It's authority is meant to rule over you, Christian. But not only that, he expects, just like we affirm of Scripture, not only it's authority, but it's clarity that that the the scripture that he has presented to us is something that we can clearly understand he's presented it to us in human words that we are able to comprehend and yes there are sometimes some difficult deep theological things that exist that we have to wrestle with but for the most part the the information that we have been given in his letters are clear enough for each one of us to understand God has saved us and we have not saved ourselves and therefore we are his and we live for him. And these are clear things that we're able to understand. We're able to understand the, the, the things necessary for the gospel. What As he describes how he is convinced of the Colossian believers' salvation, what does he say? That they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That they were transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the Son through what? The redemption and the forgiveness of sin found in Jesus Christ. That these are clear to us what is necessary for our salvation. And then what is necessary for our Christian life is clear uh, to us as well. As we get to chapter 3 and verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Live for Him. Simple, profound, clear words, yet difficult sometimes to put into practice, but it's clear what we're supposed to do. But not only that, as I use the word necessary in there for our salvation, we understand that the Scriptures are necessary. They are necessary for knowing the Gospel. They are necessary for maintaining the spiritual life that God has called us to for knowing His will. They are necessary for knowing that God exists. We can look at creation and see that there's something bigger than us that exists. We can see some of the characteristics of God, His power, Godhead, authority, Romans 1, Paul tells us. And yet to truly know God who that God is. Know Him intimately. Know His Son, Jesus Christ. The Word of God is necessary. It is grace that we desperately need. That apart from which we have no hope, our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. And if we don't know who He is, we have no hope. And in turn, we can affirm as well that the scriptural grace that is given to us is sufficient. It is the sufficient means of grace in that it contains all of the words of God that He intends for His church to have at this age in redemptive history. It now contains everything Everything that we need God to tell us in order to be saved, in order to trust Him perfectly, in order to obey Him perfectly. Everything has been given to us. Just as 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4 remind us, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life in godliness through the knowledge of of Him who called us. So as Paul pins this, he says, this is grace to you. And now as we have read it, it is grace that is meant to be with you. It's meant to go with you from here and continue on in your life. Second question. How does God reveal His Word through His servants? Well, let's look at the two phrases that come right before that grace be with you. He writes, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. How does, how does God reveal His Word through His servants? Well, first of all, we can say it's through their weaknesses. Paul had inabilities, just like any of us. Paul had weaknesses. And here we see one of them he could not write the whole letter on his own. In fact, when we look at his letter to the Galatian church in Galatians 6.11, he says, see what large letters I am writing to you with my own hands. This has caused some to speculate that maybe he had some issues with his eyesight, or maybe he had issues of like arthritis or something like that, where he had difficulty writing. Paul had his weaknesses, and, and while the, it may not be the same weakness that it's connected to, I mean, we, we read about that when Paul writes about how he's prayed to God that he would remove this thorn in his flesh. And Paul had his weaknesses. In 2 Thessalonians 3.17, Paul writes again and says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is a sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. This is the way I write. He wasn't always able to write the entirety of a letter to a church. But he would always try to take the time to pin that little ending at the very end so that they would know the genuineness of his letter. Here is the weakness of Paul. So that Paul was humbly dependent on the help of others. Which may be partly because he was humbly dependent upon the work of God in this life. We see that God uses the things that are weak to confound the strong, the foolish to confound the wise. And while in one sense we can sometimes kind of uh, imagine Paul to be this, this, this great person kind of setting him up on a pedestal, and yet we see these these points and find He's not really any different from us. Think about your own physical weaknesses, your own frailties, your own inabilities. Maybe you maybe you are confronted with desires to do big, great things for God and you think, wow, I could do this and do that and the other. And yet in your weaknesses, you're like, but I can't. That's not where God's put me. That's not the gifts or the abilities or the empowerment that I've been given. And yet I can do what God is calling me specifically to do right here. Who knows, maybe Paul wanted to write thousands and thousands of letters. But his dependence upon someone else to write them for him limited him. But do you feel limited by the weakness of Paul? What he has granted us in his writings? Has God moved him? No. No. Why? Because in the end, it is is God's work, not Paul's, that we are being blessed by. Paul is just the instrument in the hands of his Savior to care for his church. But not only do we see his weakness, we also see it says, here, remember my chains. Here we see his sacrifice. It's through. their sacrifices often that God reveals His Word to His servants. Sometimes we can maybe think how amazing it would be for God to reveal His Word through us, to give, give it to the church. But as you look at the lives of those He reveals them to, they are quite difficult lives. Moses didn't have a you know peachy, rose-filled garden of a life, right? Dealing with you know 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, you think about Jeremiah. And how he wished that the words would not come into his mouth. He wished he didn't have to speak them. But yet they would burn within him. How Paul spent his time in prison in chains for the sake of the gospel. And ultimately God uses his time in prison to write many of the scriptures. It reminds me of a man like John Bunyan who... His time in prison was used by God to write many of his works as well, one of the most famous being the Pilgrim's Progress. And often God uses the sacrifices to produce encouragement to his church. And in turn, the church should remember the sacrifice that Paul makes for the gospel, that Paul lives in chains for the gospel, so that we might then be ready and willing to sacrifice as well. As, as God's Word calls us to sacrifice, we might look to those who have been used by God to give us these very words, see their sacrifice, ultimately pointing us to Jesus, who if He suffered, if the head of the church suffered, shall not the body suffer? Shall not the body be sacrificial in the way that we seek to live? Yes, we should. Which leads me to number 3 connecting to everyday life. First of all, where are you seeking grace? Where are you seeking grace? Where are you seeking the favor of God? Are you going to his word or are you trying to find it somewhere else? The temptation oftentimes is for us to find to find it in our own goodness, in our own works, in our own doings and Yet, Paul's letter here reminds us that, it, that that's not where we find our strength. That's not where we find our empowerment. That's not where we find our hope. We don't find it in our abilities to live in obedience, but God's work in and through us. And ultimately, I, I say this to unbelievers. Where do you seek to find this favor in life? Ultimately, maybe with God. Are you working for your salvation? Are you trying to earn it? Are you trying to figure it all out yourself? God's invitation is for you to come to His Son. And in His Son, you will find redemption and the forgiveness of sin. You will find grace in your need. To the Christian, let us not forget. We can easily think, well, yeah, I've already come to Jesus. I already received grace. There is still grace being poured out. As Paul writes to those, he's convinced our Christians by their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The church has Colossae, he says, here's grace to you and now take this grace with you. And his desire is for us to see that grace, our need for grace does not end when we are saved, but it continues throughout not just this life, but it will continue throughout eternity. We will live in eternity solely by the grace of our God. We desperately need grace. Secondly, how do you view God's Word? Do you see it as this grace that holds authority over you and gives clarity to your life that is necessary in order for you to even live life as a Christian? That it is sufficient in all that it brings to you? All that it gives to you? That the grace that you desperately need is provided for you here as the Scriptures reveal to you who God is allowing you to have this relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. How do you view God's Word? Hopefully it's not something that sits on the shelf. Hopefully it's not some dead book with just words written in it that have no, that have no grace to you. Hopefully you see them as means of grace. And then thirdly, how can you express thankfulness to God for the grace He gives through His Word? The next time you pick up His Word, consider that you do not deserve it. You you have no right to it. We're in a world that talks a lot about rights right now. You have no right to this. This is here in your hands, as you sit in your chair in the morning with your coffee and you open it up, as you sit by your children's bed and read it at night, as you pull it out, maybe during a break at work or pull it up on your phone, remember, it's not yours by right. It's yours by grace. And that should cause our hearts to overflow in thankfulness. But not only that, as we consider that it is the good authority that helps us understand what life looks like in the kingdom of the beloved Son. The necessary authority, the sufficient authority. Not only can we just be thankful for the fact that we have it, but that we can then know it and understand it and, and, and be able to live out God's calling in our life. That there's a satisfaction that should come to us as we open up this word and are able to see the face of of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that is the case with you today. Now I'm going to ask you to turn to the beginning of Colossians and follow along with me as I read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body the flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Those are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, <coughs> excuse me, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Do it. to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. This is God's Word. Father, we thank You for Your Word and for the grace that has given it to us. We now simply ask, let Your grace be with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.